It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. A few shows back, I told you guys um, it was a great time to be refinancing because all-time low interest rates because the government's artificially holding down those rates because they're trying to encourage all of us to go out there and buy some real estate. Well, a sidebar to that is I feel like I've never done a show focusing on really your FICO score and what your credit score means to you. Uh, I've I've talked about how to get your credit report and how you need to pay attention to that, but I felt like it's time that we actually paid a little attention to actually how to build credit for younger people, what goes into your credit score, and then also how you can find out how to get your credit report completely free of charge because you are entitled to receive that all in today's show on The Money Guy. And that's right, you are here listening to The Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston. By day, I'm a fee-only wealth manager on the south side of Atlanta. I'm a certified public accountant, a certified financial planner, and a NAPFA registered advisor, meaning that I'm a member of the organization that is the um, National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, also known as the fee-only organization. We're the ones that you hear a lot of people talking about, Clark Howard and so forth, um, talking about how we're kind of on the same side of the table as a lot of the clients are. Um, With that said, uh, a few of you guys have um, sent some emails and some concern. I've even seen an iTunes um, comment where there was some concern that I've been prepping the new membership section too much, and for that... I will tell you I want to apologize. I think it's one of those things where we are excited about some things going on here at the show and we're working on them day in day out trying to get it all up because I don't want to put it I don't want to put something out there that's not good. And um you know that excitement kind of spills over and I probably did talk about it too much. So I'm going to try to tone that down a little bit so that you guys know that still my primary function is to help you make good personal financial decisions. Now, what you you might ask yourself, Brian, how do you come up with show topics? So there's two things that happened that have led to this show today. First, is that um, I am closing on a rental house today. There's a piece of investment property that I'm closing on today, and that's why when I did that podcast, letting you see kind of behind the curtain of the show here, when I did that show talking about real estate opportunities, and I said, no offense to my real estate agents that are out there, but the deals are not buying from the real estate agents right now. It is buying directly from the banks that are sitting on all these foreclosed homes and homes they picked up from builders and so forth. And that's exactly what's happened Um, down in my neck of the woods is that there was um, a bank that was trying to get out of a neighborhood and they had three houses and we are taking down two of them. I've already sold one of the two and then we're going to keep one and then my mastermind, I don't know if you want to call it evil mastermind if you you talk to my associate Bo, is that I've, you know, brought on a brand new associate, have to pay his outrageous salary and I figure a way for me to kind of recapture a portion of that salary is let's renting my house. So I've gone out and bought this investment house that I'm now going to try to recapture some of this um, outrageous pay that I'm paying him. I turn around and he's smiling so hopefully he can tell that my tongue is on my cheek right now as I'm picking on him about his pay. But I do think it's a smart way for me to recapture some of the money I'm paying him is I'm going to um, buy this house and rent it to Bo for a while. And then in a few years, if he likes it, he's welcome to buy it. If he doesn't, we'll go find um, somebody else to re- repeat the process. But during this entire process, it's been very educational to me just because it's been a few years since I've um, you know, 
bought something individually. You know, I've bought stuff with other people, and, and I've got a partner on this one too. But you know, we, we've done some some vacation properties and other things like that. But this is, uh, it's been a year or two, and one of the things that I liked is that I got to when I bought this house is that the uh, mortgage person that we were working with at the credit union was able to provide me with my credit report. And, and that's just exciting to see where you fall and how everything shakes out. But I will tell you, this is how important credit reports are right now, is that I kind of had the fix in on my loan, is that I know a president of one of the credit unions. I love borrowing from credit unions because credit unions are just so much easier to work with for car loans, for mortgages, because they, they're just not struggling from some of these financial issues that you see some of the big national banks going with right now. They were much more conservative, and they're also much more flexible. I, I, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're doing a jumbo mortgage or a small mortgage. I've been very pleased with credit unions. Well, one of the presidents that I, I'm friends with, and um, we call and chat about the economy and everything else, I, I called him up to talk to him about you know doing the loan for us on this investment property. And so you think, hey, things are good. I know the president, probably the fix is in, don't have to worry about anything. And this is how the market is right now, is even with being good friends with the president of the credit union, he still wanted me to go through the traditional underwriting process where I at least had to get my credit report pulled. Um, now, it was much faster than probably it would be for, for others, but it, it does show that they still want to make sure, even if they're friends, that, they, that their friends have good credit as well. But he also required that we're putting down at 20% on the house. Gone are the days that you can walk into an investment property based upon a good appraisal. That just does not happen anymore. But if you have the 20%, there are deals out there. I'm telling you, we're getting houses for 50 to 60 cents on the dollar out there. And I know a lot of people are going, yeah, Brian, but what if those houses don't appreciate and go back to what they, what they were worth? I always remind people is that we don't really have a real estate problem. We have an inventory problem with real estate. And I know for a fact that no builder out there could go assemble enough lumber, enough plumbing, enough appliances, and everything else and reproduce this house for what I'm buying it at. And if houses are being sold cheaper than when it costs to build them, they are eventually going to appreciate. It's common sense. It, it completely makes sense that because, you know, like I said, we have too many houses out there, so that's what's pushing that price down. But eventually, once we get to equal, equilibrium, um, tongue don't want to work this early in the morning, but once we get to that level place where there, you know, the, the number of houses, the inventory of houses matches the number of buyers out there, Builders are once again going to be able to start making money from building houses, and you're not going to be able to go to a builder and say, hey, I'd like to buy this house, but I want to pay you less than it's going to cost you to buy the materials and let you not make any money off of it. So um, that's what I tell people when they tell me, be careful with real estate. It's not going back up in value. That doesn't pass the common sense test because I know you couldn't build these houses for what they are. But getting back to the point of the podcast is, even if you know the lender, really good friends with the lender, they're still going to run a credit report these days, and they're also going to require you to put 20% down. There's no free free lunch out there on buying real estate anymore. And we pulled the, the, the credit report, and I came in, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I came in as a 783 is where my beacon score came in. And, and I know the things that are keeping me out of the 800 level, and um, that's probably, you know, I'll keep that to myself, but 783, I was pleased with. It came in 783 according to, if, you, if you've ever wondered what the levels of credit mean, let me give you kind of a rundown. 
Um, let's start with the bad and work up to the good because it's always good to start off with the bad news and work up to the good stuff. So if you're between 500 and 619 on your FICO score, you're probably struggling. That's considered very bad, and they're going to charge you a premium on any mortgage rates or any other loans that you're getting out there if they're willing to take a chance on you. If you're between 560 to 619 on your Beacon FICO score, whatever how you, you want to word it, your Beacon score, then you are considered a bad um, risk as well, and you probably go pay a, a, a risk premium as well. Once you get to 620 to 674 on your credit score, you're then considered a fair risk. And then 675 to 699 is good. Anything between 700 to 719 is very good. And then 720 to 850 is excellent. So I was kind of pleased that 783 came in at the excellent. I'm um, looking forward to breaking the 800 level. There's um, several scores they put together to come up with your cumulative score. And um, I did have a few, uh, one of the indicators was over 800. So I, I don't think I'm too far. Probably when I, I still owe $1,000 on one of my cars, um, the interest rate is so low that I just have not been in a hurry to pay it off. But as soon as I pay that $1,000, uh, on my wife's Toyota, we will probably see a bump in that. So that's kind of exciting stuff. But let's talk about what goes in that score I just gave you. And what is what does that mean to you and how do you build credit off of that? First, you need to understand what that score is made up of. And, and there's a whole, if you can thinking about a pizza pie, basically an allocation of how they build that score. 35% of that is your payment history. And don't worry, I'm going to go through each one of these things. And if you want to go, because the, there's going to be a lot of information here, and I'm going to put this all out there on the website too. You can go check us out at money guy.com. Um, you can also sign up up there and type in your email address and we'll put you on the blast list so you can get these show notes emailed out to you every time we do a new show. But if you go to money-guy.com, you can check out these show notes where I'm going to lay all this out for you because I know a lot of you are working out, a lot of you are walking, a lot of you are commuting to work, and that's where you, you, you kind of listen to us and kind of absorb it all so you can make these good financial decisions. So don't worry, we have a website where you can go get these show notes and figure it out. But 35% is your payment history. 30% is your debt level. And, and what devil, debt level means is your debt to available credit ratio, meaning that if you have a uh, credit card that you've you know that, that has a $10,000 credit limit and you're using 9,500 of it, um, that doesn't look as good as if you were an individual who had a $10,000 credit limit and you're only using $2,000 of it. So that's the debt to available credit ratio. That makes up about 30% of your score. And then 15%, and this is what usually hits the young people, is length of credit history because if you're brand new um, to, to in borrowing money for, for items, then you know they, they don't know how to really assess your risk. It doesn't matter because income is not the only thing that matters. There's a, you know, how likely you are to actually pay it off. The type of credit makes up 10%, and that's open versus closed. And I'm going to explain what open versus closed means on the credit. And then the last thing is there's 10% for credit inquiries. And then there's hard versus soft. And I'll explain the difference between hard and soft credit inquiries. So all this goes into, if you smashed all that together, that is going to be tell you what goes into your credit score. And then we're going to use that as to tell you how to improve your credit. And to be able to improve your credit score, you have to first know exactly what goes into that. And we kind of already covered that and those five different components. And, you know, it's out there. You have to definitely kind of be a math-minded person um, to, to completely understand how all that works. But let's talk about these individually. The first one is payment history. Obviously, lenders. 
and that's credit card companies, anybody who's lending you money, are concerned with whether or not you're ever going to pay them back. I mean, that's common sense. That's half of what the problem is right now in the economy is that they're worried about people paying them back. And that's why you're seeing credit card companies starting to charge a premium to everybody in their interest rates because, you know, they're jacking them up because they're trying to cover their losses on maybe some people that they took some risk on that they probably shouldn't have when times were much easier. And there's not a truer indicator of your probability of repayment than how you've paid back debt in the past. Um, you, you know, you've, you've got to assume, though, uh, that, you know, if you're a young person, how are you going to handle that? Because you don't have a lot of payment history. So once again, in addition to length of credit, which is 15%, you've got your payment history, which is 35%. So you can see how if you're a young person, 50% of your credit score it's kind of already being discounted just because you're young. But, you know, what are you going to do? You've got to just be smart with how you're handling credit. Now, and, you know, I do want to talk before we get into the next point, which is debt level. A good offense on having a, you know, on having a good credit score is also to have a very good defense. And what I mean by that, and I know that using too many sports analogies out there, but what I mean by that is that I think one of the things, if I had any advice for young people, is don't fake success. I can't tell you how many people I know that come out of school, get good jobs, making good salaries, where they're used to living off $10 a week as a college student, then they get out and they start making a salary of, you know, in, in the thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 range, and then all of a sudden, they, they think they're rich. And, and then they have no idea how life is really kind of expensive once you start buying yourself into the system, where you get a car note, where you get um, income taxes, you get Social Security, you have to pay for health insurance, you have to pay for, you know, if you have children or family members, you have to pay for life insurance. There, there's just, you know, rent. You add all these things up that, that goes into life. And before long, you realize that life is, is a little more expensive than you probably realized, but you, you, you feel like you, were, you, you owe it to yourself. You've been to school. You've done all these things. You owe it yourself to have something really nice. You really need to show your friends how successful and your family members how successful you are so you go out and get a brand new car. And, and you get something that you really can't afford, but, you know, you living off $10 a week now making $40,000 a year, you think you're rich. And you don't even think about how much insurance is going to be on that car. You know, that doesn't even go into the equation. You just calculate how much your, your payment was going to be on the car over the, the 72 months that you structured this thing so you could own it until, you, you know, you had your second child, it seems like. I mean, there, there's things that go into the thing that I think most young people are unrealistic and they fake success and do things too quick. So my, when I talk about the good offense is to have a good defense, you've got to not fake success. You know, do that deferred gratification. Hold off. Make sure that you can truly afford everything that you've got going on in your life and your credit score is going to be the benefactor of that good behavior. So let me get back on point here with the debt level. The next largest point, which is 30% of your credit score, is the your is determined by your debt level. Another term for this, and I've already kind of hinted at it, is your debt to income ratio. Um, well, debt to actually debt to available credit ratio. Uh, debt to income is not exactly right. But assume for a second you have two individuals. Individual A has $2,000 in credit card debt, and if he gets $2,500, his credit card will, you know, gets up to $2,500, his credit card will pretty much be maxed out. Meanwhile, you have this other individual who has a $2,000 credit limit, 
but his credit card does not max out until $10,000. You can see which one obviously looks much better. One of those people is using 80% of their credit, and the other one's only using 20% of their credit. And you can, if you're a credit card company or, or a mortgage company or somebody trying to analyze your credit, you can see that debt level has a significant impact on how they look at you. Next, let's look at length of credit history. This may be the most difficult part for young people because they're, they're tr trying to establish credit. And I can give you a little side story is when I first graduated college, I remember that I wanted to um, I wanted to get a car and I was buying a used car. I remember I bought a Mazda 626. I had a and I had to get a car. Don't think I'm bad for for wanting to get a car um, right after college because I was driving a 1984 Cavalier. We called it the Ragalier. Um, if you if you remember that Forbes came out with I think it was Forbes. It was on Yahoo. There was a list of 10 cars that killed Detroit, and um, it cracked me up when I went through that slideshow of all the 10 cars. That, uh, that supposedly took out, you know, American auto manufacturers, and one of them was the Cavalier series. And um, I drove the Cavalier um, forever. And, 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 you know, and, and the Ragalier treated me okay, but it was not the nicest car. It was one of those things where I almost had to pull the fawns and hit the dash to, to make the radio play. It had a few you know, shakes in it where I could pop the side panel of the door, you know, and get those to, to quit vibrating while I was driving down the road. And it didn't have any power things, so I didn't have to worry about the windows. They always worked because they, they worked by my elbow. But, um, and power door locks didn't exist either. So, but fortunately, I'm a tall guy, so um, I had my own way of unlocking doors if I, if I had people getting in and out of the car with me. But um, what I remember, and this is talking about length of credit history, is that when I graduated college, I wanted to get out of that Cavalier so bad. And I had a brand new job, um, right, right, you know, lined up before I even graduated college, and I was so excited. So I thought I was going to walk into the bank, and they were going to be willing to throw money at me because here I was going to go work at a CPA, a lot, you know, an accounting firm. Um, why would they not take a risk on me? And the first thing they told me is because the car was ten thousand one hundred dollars is what I had negotiated. Um, the, the purchase price down to, and I think I had $1,500 to, to put down from, you know, money I'd gotten at graduation and also some savings. And so I thought this was going to be very easy. And I went in and they said, Mr. Preston, we, we're going to need you to have somebody co-sign because you, you're, you just don't have any credit history. And I, I was livid. I was very upset. And I will tell you the way I, and I, I would encourage young people do this same thing is that because I don't believe in co-signing. Co and I know that might sound very harsh, but I am very much against co-signing. So I didn't want, even back then at a young age, I didn't want my parents having to co-sign with me because they'd already done what they were supposed to do for me. They had, you know, provided me shelter, provided me with a good place to live so that I, you know, had gone and done the right things and gone to school. So they're, they're supposed to be washing their hands of me at that point. I shouldn't be an obligation where they have to worry about if little Brian is out there paying his car payment. So I told them I didn't want to do a co-sign. And I said, look, I said, Let, let's talk about this. And I was talking to the, the manager at the bank. And um, and I'll tell you, it was it was South Trust, which, South Trust, which has since been gobbled up by Wachovia. But I, I asked for the manager at that South Trust location, and I said, I said, look, I'm a young guy, just graduated college. Here's my letter from my employer of what my open, my my beginning salary is going to be. I'm going, I'm you know, I'm, I've got an accounting degree. I'm going to be a CPA. Um, I think you guys are making a big mistake if you don't 
lend me this money for this car because I'm going to go someplace, I'm going to find somebody that will lend, and guess what? Down the road, I'm going to need to buy a house. Down the road, I'm going to need to take a loan out for something else, and you guys are going to want me at that point, and you need to take a chance on me now. And you know what? They said, tell you what, Mr. Preston, give us a few hours. We need to make a few phone calls, but call us back and we'll see what we can do. And I, and I give kudos to that branch manager that, that did that for me because guess what? I called back a few hours later and they were willing to give me that loan. They kind of overrode the system and gave me that loan. And I got to tell you, if you're a young person, take that initiative to do the same type of stuff. You're, you, you're never going to get anything unless you ask for it. And just because somebody tells you no once doesn't mean that that's the answer. You can go and, and kind of push a little bit, especially if you have the ground to remind them that, hey, you're a young person. You're the future of what's coming. If you're one of those responsible people that's always done things right, you know, got the college degree, gotten good grades, got a good job lined up, you should be rewarded and don't take no right off the bat for, you know, for doing that. So my point is length of credit history really, really hurts young people because you just, the banks don't know how to, to, to rate you on the risk level. And, and, and I said that in, in our show notes, I talked about that, that this may be the most difficult part for a young person trying to establish credit. 15% of your overall credit score is compromised of how uh, or comprised of how long you have actually been using debt. The easiest and most effective way to keep this 15% working on your side is to keep open the very first credit card you ever apply for. Even though it may have been a Macy's retail card back in college and you don't even use it anymore, just cut it up, throw it away, and forget about it. But do not close that account. And, and, and that's very, very important. The longer the account stays open, open, assuming that there's no annual fees or inactivity fees, the higher your credit score will be. And I, and I think that's very important because not only is 15% based upon length of credit, but remember, payment history is 35%. If you're young and don't have a lot of credit, that can hurt you. And I, and I know, once again, one of the things that they told me at that South Trust location many years ago when this all happened is that when I was in college, my parents had scared me that, that credit cards were the devil. And they probably were very accurate because I think you've seen with the economy, a lot of people are having trouble keeping up with their credit card payments because you know they couldn't really afford something. They faked success and bought stuff before they should have. They didn't do that deferred gratification. And, and I will tell you is that that hurt me to a, to a degree is because in college, they offer you credit cards on every street corner for a bag of potato chips. And that's not a joke. They really did used to give away, have stands with Lay's potato chips. And if you signed up for this credit card, um, you get a free bag of potato chips. And as a college kid, you're broke, hungry. You know, it seems like a, a very reasonable deal. Well, they, they know that if you get in financial trouble, probably mommy and daddy's going to help you out. So, they, they, you know, credit card companies know that credit students are somebody that they're willing to take a risk on. Well, I kind of avoided credit cards all through college pretty much until the end of my senior year. And that hurt me because I did not have any credit history. And, you know, and that led to that whole car endeavor where I had to really, you know, kind of lay it out there on the line to that branch manager. And it's all worked out, as you heard from my credit score that I've already shared with you guys. But let's talk about also types of credit because types of credit impact 10% of your credit score. And we're going to talk about open versus closed types of credit. And the type of credit you have, as I've already mentioned, accounts for 10% of your credit score. This shows lenders that you have the ability to manage different kinds of credit. The two basic forms 
are open-ended and closed-ended. And what that means is open-ended credit is credit that can fluctuate or revolve. You hear that a lot. Is a revolving credit, is such as credit cards or home equity line, meaning that the balance can fluctuate over time depending upon how much you're using either your home equity line or your credit card. Closed-end credit is credit such as an auto loan or home loan that does not vary over time, meaning that you have an outstanding principal balance. Every month you're making payments, paying that, that balance down over time. So remember, closed means that it's just a, a fixed amount of debt that you're paying down over time. And then open is, is revolving, meaning that it fluctuates depending upon how much you're using, and that is 10% of your credit score. The last one is credit inquiries, hard versus soft. And what does that mean? The final piece of the credit puzzle is your credit inquiries. These are basically your applications for credit. Too many can harm your credit score. Having a retail credit card at every store at the local shopping mall isn't going to be good for, 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 to make you look good to lenders. But what about those pre-approved credit card offers? And, you know, they're not really coming in like they were a year and a half, two years ago, but they are still coming in. Those, um, th those have said, you know, they, that they, they've already looked at their credit account and that you've been approved. And, yes, they have looked at your account, but those are called soft inquiries, meaning that they don't really have a huge negative impact on your credit score. But they do. Um, they have gone and pre-approved. They've kind of worked out a deal with all the credit rating agencies um, to get you uh, to see what your credit score comes in at. But when you go and actually ask, pull your credit score, that's considered a hard credit inquiry, and that does um, temporarily lower your credit score to a, to a degree. And that's why I will tell you. And I, and I hate to keep telling you all these life events, but I think as a young person listening to this, or or an older person listening to this, you can completely relate. I know when I bought my very first house, me and my wife, we were, you know, because we, we didn't have any furniture, so we needed to go buy some furniture. So I remember us being at Macy's because they had some big sale on some Macy's furniture where they had some rugs and other things that we had this great flyer where we had found this like $850 rug we were going to get for like $150. And, and we still use that rug, by the way. It's a great rug. But anyway, they had this huge deal. And um, me being a complete tightwad is when we bought this, this rug and this kitchen table, what we were going to put in the breakfast room of our new house, um, the, 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 the woman at the counter goes, you know, now if you would like, you can apply for a Macy's credit card and we'll give you 10% off your entire purchase. Now, I remember our total purchase price was right around $700 because we bought a kitchen table, a breakfast room table, and then this rug. And I was thinking, wow, it's 70 bucks. So I called my mortgage broker and I said, look, we're close, you know, I, you know, I know we, we, we've got to get all this structured. Can I do this? And he said, absolutely not. Because he goes, look, you're already going to have trouble it, it, just because you're young. Because I bought my first house when I was 24. And, and he says, you're going to have trouble. But he says, also, you're going to go ahead and need to call some of the um, utility companies to get some of that, your utility set up. And guess what? The first thing they're going to ask you when you set up your utilities is for your social security number. And they're going to run a credit check on you on that as well. So you've already got a number of people pulling your credit report over this transaction of buying this house. Stay away from using any, doing any of these store transactions right now. And, you know, and it probably was very good advice, even though I'd love to have had that 70 bucks and the tightwad ways I have made me want to save that money. But um, it was probably for the best because, you know, to, to qualify and to get a good mortgage rate or a good car loan rate when you're young is hard because you just do not have enough history for the credit agencies to, to really know how to rate you. Now, I think you get to, I'm in my mid-30s now, 
Um, uh, you know, I think you get to the stage where, you, where, where I am, where I've paid off a number of things, paid off some cars, refinanced some houses, moved several times. You know, now I think lenders start to rate you on how, you know, I've got enough credit history that they kind of rate me as very low risk because I've always paid off everything, always been very timely with our payments. And it's just going to take time for a young person to build that up. But uh, I hope that is very helpful for you on figuring out what goes into a credit score. And if you want to go pull your credit score and pull your free credit reports, let me give you a website. It's called annualcreditreport.com. And this is the one where you can go pull the three credit scores from the three different credit reporting agencies. Um, and you can go see exactly where you are. Now, they will give you your credit report completely free. You can even pull it up right there on the internet by going to annualcreditreport.com. But if you actually want to see your FICO score, your Beacon score, you're actually going to have to probably pay a little bit extra. And that's going to be up to you on whether or not you want to pay that extra money, I would recommend that, that maybe you do want to pay it because it's nice to see where you fall in that whole list of, of credit scores that I provided early to see how you know how good your actual Beacon score and your FICO score is to kind of know where you fall in. Are you do you have very good credit score or are you um, kind of there on the on the fair side? So hopefully that's helpful. I will talk to you guys in a week because now that we're out of tax season, um, I'm kind of feeling like I can you know have a little more flexibility and really devote a little more time to this show. And I appreciate you guys making it as successful as we are. Oh, one thing before I close. We've got a film crew coming in from um, uh, WSB. Uh, it's one of Clark Howard's producers. If you're not in the Southeast, you're probably not very familiar with Clark Howard, but I'm a big fan of his. So I'm kind of excited that a TV crew has found us through the podcast and is coming down to film. So I'll give you guys an update on how that goes next week. And you can count on after it actually airs, I'm going to probably find a way to, to put it, some of that stuff up on YouTube and even up on the Money Guy website. You can go check us out at money-guy.com. And then you can write the show at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. But thanks again for being a great listener of the Money Guy show, and I'll talk to you in about a week. I'm Brian. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. 